You're listening to Unlocking Our Sound Heritage and Voices from the Victorians, brought to you by Manx National Heritage, the charity responsible for the Isle of Man's natural and cultural heritage. The sound recordings you'll hear today and throughout this series on Manx Radio are part of a unique collection of around 600 sound recordings digitised from the Manx National Heritage Sound Archive and available now online for the first time. The team at Manx National Heritage hope you enjoy eavesdropping on the voice clips we've chosen from the Nation's Sound Archive, all of which can be listened to in full at imuseum.im. It was the Victorians who first experienced the wonder of sound recording, thanks to Thomas Edison's invention of the phonograph in 1877. It's therefore fitting that our final Unlocking Our Sound Heritage programme is given over to this remarkable Victorian age. One of the most notable events of the late Victorian era on the Isle of Man was the Big Snow of 1895. Let's first listen to the account of Janet Gibb of the Grove in Ramsey, interviewed by John Stoll Kenyon in early 1973. But I know that it was um, a snowy morning, nothing very great, but it was snowy and the place looked very grey and so on. And Granny wouldn't let us go to school that afternoon. She said, you mightn't get home again. Well, some of the children went to school, the two Vondi girls, and they were stuck there for a week. They, Good Lord. they uh, uh, well, uh, I don't know, the roads were bad and slippery and all together, and uh, their father thought they were better there than at home. And then Miss Westbrook uh, ha- had a few boarders, and there was room for them, so... They, they got their lessons all the time while we had a week's holiday. And you said that the level of the snow around the grove here yes. was up to the height of the wall? Yes. And that your, what, your coachman or something had yes. to... He had to walk along the stone wall to, to get here, you see, when he got to Richmond's Corner... Mm. He, well, he would have to, he said the little bit that he walked before he um, got to the wall, the first morning, he sank in up to his waist nearly, he was wet through. I think the maids gave him hot drinks and told him to go home again when he had opened up the cows and fed them and the horse. But he, he walked on the wall because he... He knew he wouldn't sink there. And what about the snow up against the door of well, the house? He, he, well, he, 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 I think he, well, it kept him warm anyway, but he had to dig out the hens and the stable and the cows and the back door. <laughs> he dug the back door out first. And... Uh, is that the biggest snow you remember ever yes. here? I never remember such a, such a snow as that. And I think, I think people will tell you that it was the first and the last 
of what we'd had a, a really big snowstorm. Another person who remembered the big snow was Jane Corkish, interviewed by her daughter, Mrs Wilson, in the late 20th century. Let's take a listen. And then they would slide down off the roof and down, right down to the road. <laughs> it was a wonderful time. Oh, yes. <laughs> and there was a one old lady lived somewhere in the mountain. Now, I was told the story by someone in the island man. Her cottage was completely covered and... Uh, the baker was going around and they had to try and remember where the cottages were that they used to serve with bread. And uh, Baker's boy said, I'm sure there was a, a cottage uh, such and such a place. And uh, well, they went to look for it and they found it. And they had one of these chimneys that went open up to the sky. Mm. And she was praying, and she was saying, Oh, Lord, send me some bread. <laughs> send me some bread. And a loaf came down the chimney. <laughs> and she said, Oh, thank the Lord. Thank the Lord. I knew he wouldn't forget me. <laughs> and the baker's boy said, It's not the Lord, it's the baker's boy. <laughs> She said, I don't care if you're the devil. It was the Lord that sent you. <laughs> Lewis Caron, born in 1900, talks about his upbringing in a small cottage in Malou, including his father working in the Foxdale mines. Now, it's, it's Lewis, isn't it? Yeah. How do you spell it? Karen? K-A? No, C. C-A-R-R-A-N. Ah, that's that's a, one of the different ways of spelling it, really. Yeah. Yes. It's a laxy way. Oh, it's a laxy way, is it? I me me uh, father was uh, reared in laxy, born in laxy. Ah. Now, where were you born now, Lewis? The Quallag. That's uh, out in Maloo. And that's uh, near the Kr Kringle... Uh, Aye, Kringle Reservoir. Yeah. The little cottage is sitting up on top of the hill. <coughs> How many within the family then? Just yourself? No, the, we were six. Aye. Three girls and three boys. Yeah? Yeah. And we were reared in this little cottage. Now, were you the oldest? Or? Oh, no, no. No, I... Uh, one, two, three. There were three older than me. Ah. So, so, so uh, what? What? There was. What did you say? Three boys and three girls. Just a nice equal equal number there. Yes. Right. Yeah. Now, what what year were you born then? Nineteen hundred. Nineteen hundred. Uh. What yeah. What do you remember of your childhood there then? Would it be a tough tough life, was it? It was a. Uh, well, you were well used on it, you see, because them days up round the tops there, 
there was any amount of uh, people with families all living and going to school together. We had three mile and a half to go to school. Where did you go? Bullamarda. Ah. And what were you from a farming farming family? Oh yes. Well, <coughs> my father was a miner, Foxtail Mines. Was he? Yeah. And uh, well. On the little craft, we had two cows and half a dozen sheep. On the little craft, who looked after them? My mother and us youngsters. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Speaking of mines, if you lived in Laxey during the Victorian era, chances are that the Laxey mines played a big part in your day-to-day life. Let's now listen to John Quilliam, recorded in the 1970s as he talks about the daily life of the miners. Over 300 persons were employed in the mines, raising about 100 tonnes of lead ore, 30 tonnes of copper, and upwards of 200 tonnes of blackjack per month. The lead ore contained about 23 ounces of silver per tonne. It was a great sight for any stranger to see the band of fine miners going or returning from work with their flasks of jog, drink, flung over their shoulders, a pound or two of candles or powder cask in their hands and the peculiar candlesticks attached to the front of their stiff drab hat. You can't talk about the Laxey mines without also picturing the Laxey wheel. Here's John Quilliam again speaking about this great feat of Victorian engineering. Though the mines had been worked for hundreds of years, it was not until modern times that their resources had been fully developed. On the 27th of September, 1854, the Lady Isabella made her first turn. And up to that time, of the mining industry closing down in this area, She turned constantly, both night and day, being stopped only for the necessary painting, etc. The diameter of the wheel is 72 feet 6 inches, breadth 6 feet, the circumference 217 feet 6 inches, and the number of revolutions per minute by which it raised 250 gallons of water per minute from a depth of 200 fathoms, which is 1,200 feet, a truly remarkable piece of workmanship. The wheel is so truly set that even a deflection of one-eighth of an inch cannot be detected. The water to supply the wheel was brought in pipes from reservoirs on the mountains and ascends through the circular white pillar To the top of the wheel, round this pillar is the winding staircase, which visitors now ascend, although a walk a few yards up the path to the left will enable the beholder to enjoy the scene equally well, particularly if one is not good at heights. The Isle of Man railways were also a great Victorian implementation. Let's listen to John Quilliam for the final time, speaking about the luxury of travelling by rail. 
three forms of transport. There were three great and distinct advancements in our island's transport. The first, and probably the greatest, was that welcomed event of the steam railway system. Can you imagine the difference between sitting in an uncovered, horse-drawn cart from Balaf to Ramsey on a snowing winter's day, or from Grenoble to Douglas in a pony trap on a rainy December morn over muddy, bumpy roads to reach the important market areas to sell the farm produce, or to sit in your station waiting room for the approach of a comfortable, cushioned carriage with hot water bottles for your feet to travel at a speed of up to 25 miles an hour. This rail service commenced in 1873, or just over 106 years ago, having an unrivaled service until the early part of the 1920s. Back to Janet Gibb now, who tells an amusing story about the opening of the electric railway and the problems encountered when sitting on a toast rack carriage in the Manx weather. When the Manx Electric Railway opened, uh, did people uh, change from the old steam train to go to the electric railway if you wanted to go to Douglas? Oh, I think they did to begin with, you know, for the especially if you didn't want to go to Balaf or any of these places. They did for the partly the variety of scenery and partly it was a new thing and all the Australians that we've had here have all wanted to go to Douglas by the electric partly because of the view and partly because it seems to be a kind of novelty. Yes. I know when Elsie Parley came here the first time it was a horrid day I didn't really think she Oh, yes, she must go and go in the toast track, too. It was quite, uh, oh, no, she wouldn't go inside, nothing of the kind. So we went in the toast track. And by the time we got to Laxey, she was so cold, she was thankful to get (laughs) into the closed car in front. However, before the popularity of steam and electric railways took off during the Victorian period, There were trusty old horse and carriages. Here is Janet Gibb once more reminiscing about open carriages. I don't remember much about it, except I remember seeing the carriages come up to the front here, pair of horses looking very nice, and then they went round the corner this way, which it go out Mm. that way. They didn't have to turn, they just went out. Joseph said it was very handy. And were these open carriages? Uh, uh, yes, um, uh, a land door, you know, the open door shut. Yes. A pair of horses. Mm. And they looked so nice. The Victorian era was a period of great change in the field of medicine. This next clip is taken from a lecture given in 1992 about the building of the First Nobles Hospital. The hospital opened in 1888 and is now the site of the Manx Museum. 
Be sure to take note of how patients were moved from the old hospital in Fort Street to the new one on Crellins Hill. So the seed of the First Nobles Hospital dispensary was sown. The architects were Bleakley and Coven of Birkenhead. The foundation stone was laid by Rebecca Bloom Noble um, on the 26th of July 1886. And the hospital was formally opened by the Lieutenant Governor, Mr. S Mr. Spencer Walpole, that was before he was knighted, on the 4th of September 1888. Having opened the hospital on the 4th of September 1888, the patients were eventually moved in January 1889 with much love and care on handcarts from Fort Street. Now, can you imagine them? Sick people being trundled along on the cobblestones um, on handcarts to, uh, to the new hospital. The Great Union Camera Obscura on Douglas Head is a curious Victorian creation. The Obscura that currently stands on Douglas Head was built in 1892 as an attraction for both locals and tourists. It turns out, however, that there was a previous Obscura behind the Douglas Head Hotel, built in 1887. Take a listen to this Manx Radio Perspective Today broadcast by Roger Watterson, featuring Ashley Pettit, Peter Kelly and James Fenton. Well, good evening, gentlemen. Peter, uh, Peter Kelly. Uh, when was the first Obscura to appear up here on Douglas Head? Well, this isn't the first one, is it? No, the first one, as far as I'm aware, is in 1887. Now, th this I came across by going through the, the old minute books of Douglas Corporation and then the local newspapers, and in May of that year, Mr. Hicks got permission to put a camera obscura up on Douglas Head. Not where the present one is, but in fact way up higher behind the Douglas Head Hotel. Now there, there was a toboggan ride and there was stalls and all sorts of funfair uh, events. It, in fact, it probably wasn't the best place being tucked in alongside the hotel because part of the view would be obscured by the hotel itself. Mm. Now that was a very simple one, uh, building with a single lens on top. You went in and then he pulled a cord or whatever to turn the, the lens round and you stood there looking at a picture which actually for most of the time was upside down as the lens went round. Um, he, he actually lived there. This was quite a, a common occurrence in, in, you know, even later in White City and Onken Head. Some of these funfair people tended to live in the stall and pull the bed out from underneath. And um, towards the end of the season, he went off to Douglas one night, but he, he left his um, paraffin lamp burning, but it must have fallen over or something, because when he came back, the whole camera obscura was, a, was alight, and so after just one season, it mm. had gone. One of the most famous Manx Victorians was Thomas Edward Brown, more commonly referred to as T.E. Brown. Take a listen to this next clip, recorded in 1995, of Lawrence Hughes from Peel, reading some of the T.E. Brown poem, Peel Lifeboat. 23, says Charlie, is all I see, with the fury and the din. Not a soldier leave the wreck, says Charlie, till on the deck you bring the man that's hurt. So they brought him in his shirt, oh it's fine. I'm for you, Charles Kane, with the fury and the din. And the captain and his wife, and a baby, odds my life, such a beauty, such a prize and the tears in Charlie's eyes. Arms of steel, for the honour of old Peel, haul away amid the din. Sing ho the seething foam, sing ho the road for home, 
and the hook they've left behind, like a giant stunned and blind, with the loom and the boding of his doom, with the fury and the den. Here's a child, don't let it fall, says Charlie, nurse it all, on the tossing of the breasts, or the brooding of softness, taking turns as each maid and mother yearns for the babe escape the den. See the rainbow bright and broad, now all men thank ye God, for the marvel and the token and the word that he hath spoken. With thee, O Lord, of all that be, we have peace amid the den, and the horror and the roar rolling in, rolling in, rolling in upon the deadly shore. In this next snippet, Janet Gibb talks about the popularity of T. E. Brown when he was alive. And was he was he as uh, as, 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 as great a man to the Manx people when he was alive as he is now? I think he was. I think. I think. Uh, of course, they didn't have these memorial dinners or whatever they have. But if they could get him on to a platform, if for any good cause, or he would go and and speak, and and people would go to hear him. If they, if you said Tee Brown was coming to the St Paul's Tea Party, well, we would have an extra good attendance because people would come to listen to him. Not that you needed in the early days an extra good attendance. The place was always well attended. Did he have a nice voice? I, I never knew her. She uh, died. Well, uh, did he have a nice voice? Hmm? Did he have a nice speaking voice? Oh, very nice speaking voice, yes. Very, very pleasant voice. A man's voice, not squeaky. Mm. <laughs> it was a very pleasant voice. Here is an extract of one of T.E. Brown's other poems, Betsy Lee, read by Tom Dodd at some point in the 20th century. Mr. Tom Dodd, reading an extract from Betsy Lee by T.E. Brown. Now, most of you lads has had the spell of curtain and that. And it's hard to tell how ever a youngster comes to fancy that of all the girls it's Jimmy or Nancy or Mary or Betsy that must be hisn. I don't know how a tessel it isn't, but sometime or other it comes to us all. Just like a clap of shoot or a squall or a snake or a vapour or some such dirt creep, creep, creeping under your shirt and sliding and slipping right into your breast and making you as you can't get less. And it works, and it works, till you feel your heart raising. God knows what it is if it isn't poison. You see, we are a roughish set of chaps that's brought up rough on our mammy's laps. And we grow, and we run about shouting and fooling till we gets to be lumps and fit for the schooling. Then we gets to know the marks and the signs, and we labours the school and we sticks to the lines, baiting and setting and hauling and that, till we know every fish from a quail to a sprat. And we gets big and strong, for do make you stronger to row a big boat and to pull at a conga, 
Then, what with a cobbling up of the yawl, and a patching and mending the nets for the trawl, and a rising early, and a going to bed late, and a dreaming of scallops as big as a plate, and the hooks, and the creels, and the oars, and the gut, you'd say there's no room for a little slut. But hounds and mama is not the case, and a pretty face is a pretty face, and through the whole kyle, as bright as a star, a girl slips in, and there you are. Well, that was just the way with me and the girl I'm speaking of, Betsy Lee. Ah, mates, it's wonderful too, the years you may live dead on end with your eyes and your ears right alongside of the lass that's going to be your sweetheart, and you never know her. That's the way. For her father and mine was neighbours, and both in the fisherman line. And the cottages stood on the open beach, with a nice bit of garden the back of them each. You know the way them houses is fixed, with the pigs and the hens and the children mixed. And the mothers go round when the nights begin, and quips up their own and takes them in. Her father was terrible fond of flowers and his garden was twice as handsome as ours. A mortal keen eye he had for the vermin, and his talk was always of planting and farming. Thanks for listening to Voices from the Victorians and all the other Unlocking Our Sound Heritage programmes. We hope you've had as much fun listening as we have selecting Voices from the Islands Archive. You can listen again to all the programmes as a podcast on Manx Radio and you can visit imuseum.im and click on Unlocking Our Sound Heritage to listen to these and many more sound recordings from the Manx National Heritage Sound Archive. To find out more about the charity Manx National Heritage and how you can support us, visit our website manxnationalheritage.im or join us on Facebook. And to see us out, how about the catchy Victorian song, The Isle of Man, sung by Charles Kane, accompanied by Charles Gard on the piano. Goodbye from Unlocking Our Sound Heritage on Manx Radio, and thanks for listening. Take it away, Charles. That's the place.